Welcome everybody to the April 27th, 2000 episode of Smackdown that we're reviewing for the Rogue Retro Smackdown review, the Go Home Show, the Backlash 2000. A very anticipated show for us here to finally get to review Backlash that is not this particular episode of Smackdown, even though it ends on a on a bang. I was going to say on a high, but no, saying ends on a ends with a bang is probably a better description of the episode. My name is Scott McLeod. I am your host as usual. And I am joined by one Samuel Preston, fully awake uh, after his nap that took two days, because we were meant to record this two days ago. Hey, when your body needs it, your body needs it. And yes, it was not just a lovely nap, it was a hibernation, and I feel like a much happier bear because of it. He gets these little plush Steve Blackman, and that helps him fall asleep even quicker. He just dreams uh, these boring dreams. <laughs> nah, just uh, I have the moment where I'm just like imagining Steve Blackman hitting Kane with a candlestick and then just counting as I go along because I know that Steve Blackman is a million times better than Kane. So it's just like one shot, two shot, three <laughs> shot, four, and then a little dance, five shot, six shot, seven shot, eight more. Dun, 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 dun. And then I fall asleep, which is perfect. Perfectly moving on. <laughs> <laughs> This is a big uh, couple of weeks in the world of wrestling in the year 2000. I'll talk about that before getting to Raw and then to SmackDown itself. But uh, I mentioned in the previous two weeks, you had first Taz winning the ECW championship and then showing up last week with the ECW table for and shortly, a few days later, dropping it to John Dreamer, who then dropped it to Just Incredible and all that. We discussed that last week. But uh, it was a busy couple of weeks for WCW. Because on April 24th, same night as Raw, over Nitro, TDP, who had lost the previous, I believe the Sunday before, uh, or at least the week before, at the Spring Stampede pay-per-view, this is after the big reboot Nitro, where all the title belts were vacated, and all the big Russo, uh, Bischoff idea, or mostly Russo, and they had multiple tournaments across fucking one show, that wasn't a bad idea, I say sarcastically, and then you have DDP won the title when DDP's wife turns on him. And on this episode, Nitro DDP regains the title with help from David Arquette. And then on the Tuesday, same day SmackDown's been recorded, a show being taped for Wednesday, a WCW Thunder, features another historic title change, as this is the week where David Arquette would edge his name in history and become the WCW World Champion. I watched all of those events live at the time. And even I, as a autistic 10-year-old who probably really didn't understand what I was watching, even I, during that Thunder episode, was just like, what the fuck? Yeah, it's just absolutely insanity. I remember, I lived through those days, Scott. I went, I watched every episode, and now you wonder why I'm so bitter and twisted later in my years because of it. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, Arquette, you know, I'm not going to just... Yeah, no, I just thought it was fair enough for people to know this is the week that it happens, but he said himself he, he didn't want to do it. You know, he's had that documentary, You Can't Kill David Arquette, which you should all watch if you haven't watched it already. I'm pretty sure it was on Sky over here for a little while. I mean, it's still be up there. It was actually pretty good. And it, it's just, it doesn't make any sense the way the match goes. It's a tag match for the world title, and he pins Eric Bischoff, because obviously he can't have him pin Jeff Jarrett. Uh, you, Jeff Jarrett. It's not the worst thing Jeff Jarrett would do in 2000. But 
Uh, neither of them were a legal man, and DDP, I think, was trying to get the pen over the other side. So DDP's lost his world title, but has to act like he's happy for David Arquette. It's absolute insanity. And I, in retro, like looking back nowadays, I think um, the ma- the main feeling when it comes to David Arquette is just feeling a little bit sad for him because he was basically just a major fan who wanted to do a movie about wrestling and then wanted to help try and get some attention on the product while he's doing it. And instead what ended up happening was he was put in a very unfair position. This isn't like, um, like nowadays you would have Stephen Amell who had actually had the physical talent to be able to do so. And you have bad bunny who, to be fair to him, put in a very good performance uh, at WrestleMania, but the difference is that they were put in safe positions where they didn't overstay the good nature that was being given to them. Like Stephen Amell featured on All In, having a tremendous match with Christopher Daniels and was at SummerSlam in a tag team match as well. Bad Bunny basically did whatever was asked of him and was doing his best. And I think WCW put him in a put David Arquette in a very unfair situation where he became representative of everything that was wrong in WCW at the time, despite the fact he himself thought it was a major mistake. And uh, one of the things that really softens the blow of the death now it created for WCW is the fact that if I remember correctly from what I read, um, all the checks that were given to David Arquette, not only did he not cash them, but he gave them to, I think it was um, the families of Owen White, uh, Owen Hart and Brian Pillman uh, mm-hmm. to, so that they could be supported. I think even now, um, jo- uh, Brian Pillman Jr., for instance, has very um, kind words to say about David Arquette because of that. And it just shows that this was a good man who was trying to enjoy his wrestling and tried to make a good situation out of a major mess by saying, I'm not taking pleasure out of being champion. I want to give it to those who has it more. And I think they, I would love to see, this is going to sound strange. I'm going to throw this out here. I would love to see David Arquette appear on an episode of AEW dynamite or something like that being featured possibly alongside like jungle boy. Cause his best friend was obviously Luke Perry. Uh, mm. they're very close and that sort of thing. And I would love to see his, he's in the documentary. He already has gone above and beyond to try and save his name again. Like that match with Nick Gage is absolute insanity, but I would love to see it on a, almost like killing the demons by being able to come back and perform on the same network um where it all began mm-hmm. that for me so looking so yeah this was a very famous week at the time i remember watching it all even then thinking what the hell am i watching but i i still like to give david i some credit for it and i would love to see him come back to some degrees mm-hmm. when you look perry he's actually in the documentary because the documentary took over place over a significant period of time so uh, look perry was in the documentary and died while the, the a lot was still in production and it's actually Luke Perry's car that he get, that drives uh, David Arquette to the hospital after he has that infamous uh, death match with oh, Nick yeah. where he nearly was in. I'm pretty sure Jungle Boy does appear at the end because there's a point after the death match where he, does, he questions where he wants to continue wrestling and then also shortly after that uh, Luke dies and you see how he kind of spirals after that for a little bit and how that affected him. It's really mm-hmm. powerful stuff watching that. And also talking about Owen Hart, weirdly the the pay per view Slam B two thousand 
uh, where he would lose the title by Swerve turning heel and helping Jeff Jarrett. Actually, it took place in the same venue where Owen tragically had passed a year later. later. So maybe that plays into why he gave the the money to Owen's family and, and people like that. So it was a nice thing for him to do. And going in, another thing we should talk about before getting to this, uh, this episode of SmackDown, I, I recently found this out. This is uh, the highest rated episode of SmackDown in history. It has not been taught since it got a 5.4 in the ratings. I don't know how many million of that that creates to, but it's still higher than what SmackDown gets this averaging. The biggest it's getting now is room at the two, two and a half million mm-hmm. in current day. So it's clearly a significant uh, rise here. And what's weird about that is that you got oh, um, you know, if I'd, maybe there's somewhere out there I could find it, but I don't think the big, you know, crux of this episode, which is, is Austin here or is he not? That wasn't advertised in advance, I don't think. Maybe there was some uh, local promotion for people who are going to go to this taping saying you might see Austin here. Or you might, they may put some mad tease in Austin, but I'm pretty sure the whole thing about Austin may or not be here was maybe teased at the very start of the show, like be unexpected, and then you're supposed to tune in uh, to see if he shows up. So I don't know if maybe people were phoning other people saying, oh, I should tune in to SmackDown, uh, Steve Austin was is going to be here, or maybe it was just a case of that's just how popular WWE was. They just our average go home show, they can still pull in the highest rating they've ever done. So for me, I think it might be a combination of a couple of things. I mean, you've got it that it's the go-home show. So you're thinking to yourself, there's a possibility that something may happen. It's the last opportunity for them to show that Steve Austin is going to be there. So you're going to have people instantly tuning in, wanting to see. Maybe those who haven't watched it in a couple of months, if they're mainly just Steve Austin fans. Uh, You've got it that it's at the same time as you're finding out that David Arquette is going to be battling for the WCW World Heavyweight Championship. So you may instantly think to yourself, oh, I'm going to turn the channel. A bit like when... Uh, Tony Schiavone on Nitro years ago said about, oh, on war today, you're going to see Mick Foley win the WWF championship. And everyone literally turned over straight away because they wanted to see it. And the third thing I think is that this was back at the time where you would legitimately have it that people would ring each other saying, mate, you won't believe what's about to happen on this episode. So I think a combination of all of those elements, the, uh, unfortunately terrible episode of thunder that fans were about to get the fact that it was the go home show the fact that steve austin was involved and the fact that you could have your friends ringing you up saying mate you have to watch it i think those combined create almost like a um a lightning in the bottle in the bottle where everyone comes together wanting to watch this at the same time and i can imagine i'd be curious to see actually what the ratings were at the beginning of the night and what they were by the end of the night because i think that's where mm-hmm. you see the build of it and see how many people possibly instantly started logging on and wanting to watch etc but i think if there's going to be any smackdown event that we've watched so far that would have the highest level of ratings for it it kind of makes sense for it to be this one because it suits the, the actual company at the time. It wasn't a necessarily about the wrestling. It was about the entertainment. And this probably was what epitomized it more than anything in that overall, the most interesting thing is going to be the storyline between Steve Austin, DX, McMahon's, etc. Mm-hmm. I think, yeah. 
like eventually what it started and how it increased over the, the thing. I'm pretty sure this, this is just like an overall rating of the show because, you know, when they're, whenever news comes out about the ratings for like Raw or SmackDown ever, they often like show you hour by hour. Like in the last few years, given when, as Raw's quality dips, more often than not, you can see a clear decline in the third hour of the show, uh, which again further fuels people's argument to get rid of the third hour. Uh, the reason I was asking about Austin is clearly like his return has some drawing power because you know I think maybe if you weren't going to buy if we, somehow if you're on the fence for backlash, him coming back could sway you to part with your money. Also, the I found this out the raw after uh, backlash, the first of May episode is the second highest rated episode of Raw according to the same website that I've been looking at a seven point four, which I'm assuming people were thinking Austin was now back full-time and not just a one-off. Uh, and so people tuned in to see if Austin was actually returned. And also the show after uh, Judgment Day, we'll get to later in the year, is number five here at 7.1. Uh, and also these SmackDown episodes I've been looking at, like the highest ones, all of them are in 2000, so take from that what you will. And the great thing that's funny, number four on the list of 10, the 10 highest episodes of SmackDown, number four with a 5.3 it's the go-home from Mania 2000 where Stephanie ends the show by beating Jacqueline for the women's title, uh, which is actually in that episode is two points higher than number seven, which is a 5.1 and that's the episode where Arnie showed up. So there you go, Stephanie McMahon is a bigger draw for SmackDown than Arnold Schwarzenegger. So all those people who watched that episode in the year 2000, you're the reason why we couldn't get rid of the fucking 40 uh, for years because they were like, oh, no, she's obviously uh, she's obviously a tremendous um, crowd puller because she got more than Arnold Schwarzenegger. And you're like, you got to be fucking kidding me. That is ridiculous. Oh, God, I blame all you people. I hope you realize that. Sorry, I just completely contradicted myself by saying no, it's all episodes from 2000 and it's mentioned the Arnie episode which is clearly in a 1989 episode. So okay, the first year of SmackDown, there you go. I've, I've managed to somewhat say what little credibility I have. Uh, I, I, I just assumed that there was no credibility to what you were saying, and I just went with it. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've consulted one website, so, you know, take it from that way. Well, but I, all it's all been agreed. But I've seen multiple sources saying this is the highest rated episode of SmackDown, and I thought that was worth discussing. But for, let's get into Raw, the Raw that happened before they go home SmackDown to see what led us into this. Uh, Stephanie, Triple H and Shane cut a promo to start the show. I'm just pausing so I can maybe cut that bit of line there and use it for a later episode as I'm, I say that far too often. I just copy and paste most weeks. Clever uh, thinking. I love it. Uh, so Shane is apologising to Triple H for, you know, the shoving Triple H after the whole Linda incident the, the week before and you know they're all acting all stopping and everything JR's like oh I'm gonna be sick because he's like you know Triple H I'm proud to have you in the McMahon family you're the closest thing I've had to a brother and they hug and everything then Stephanie goes to take the mic and the crowd loudly chants slut uh, and Stephanie goes you know there's a lot more to me than you guys think I'm very sensitive and it hurts my feeling when you chant that rude word at me and then Triple H gives a very unsincere apology about some of the quote unfair decisions he may or may not have made, which then leads him to be interrupted by Chris Jericho. And I think this is the first time he has said it, but asking Triple H if he would please shut the hell up yes. uh, before asking for a rematch of the WF title. And 
continues to like Stephanie and goes, you know, Stephanie is very sensitive. She's like a flower, which made me laugh. We George Grady goes, flower? That poor girl lost her flower long ago, Triple H. <laughs> <laughs> and then she gets angry and everything. That's my sister talking about it. And, he says, and then they make a challenge for later on where it was going to be The Rock and Chris Jericho taking on Shane and Triple H. And shortly after the match is made, uh, Stephanie's kind of dying on the WF title. I'm sorry, Jericho kind of mocking them for you know, the decision being overturned. Jericho just yanks out of her hands and walks up the ramp. So when Triple H goes to chase after him, Jericho quickly turns around and hits Triple H with the belt. So Jericho's got the upper hand to start the show over the heels. And then when we cut back from commercial, we saw that during the break, uh, Chris Bemo attacked Jericho from behind by whacking him with the IC title before saying, this is another take you're never going to get to hold. Which then further fuels to their match coming up at Backlash. And then Vince McMahon makes his return. And while well, he says, I'm glad everything's all sorted out amongst, you know, Shane, Stephanie, and Triple H, I just want to warn Triple H, don't ever put your hands on my wife again. So while he and Linda are odds, you see some, there's still some, you know, feelings between Linda and uh, Vince because they are married still, both in real life and in Kayfabe, they would get Kayfabe divorced, I think, at the end of 2000, start 2001, something like that. Uh, and so, and then he, it seems like he's, he seems to like tease some dissension amongst them because he says that Triple H will have to find another partner as Shane has been given other duties tonight. And they're like, oh, what could those possibly be? And then they talk about Austin and he tries to sow some dissension between Rock and Austin by showing a clip from a year ago where when Rock was a heel and Austin was the face, Austin ran over one of Rock's cars with a, with a monster truck and then says, remember Rock, we found out it was your rental car that ran over Stone Cold and Usually tries to pin the rock for Austin getting attacked. And you know, remember rock, the old DTA, don't trust anybody. You shouldn't trust Austin when you come back because I don't think he's going to trust you. Uh, so uh, Vince trying to stir the shit. And later on, we discover uh, who Village's partner is. And it's revealed to be Chris Benoit. The first, second time in about a month or so, I think that he's been the main event because not too long ago he was in that steel cage match against the rock. So, you know, still. Thinking highly of Chris Benoit, the fact he's, he gets the spot and he's the Intercontinental Champion. And then he goes, oh, and by the way, uh, please welcome the special guest referee, Shane McMahon. His <laughs> other duties were being the special guest referee. And then Vince is also in Triple H's corner, as he will be at Backlash. Uh, a start, strong start from Rock and Jericho as they work together, but Rock kind of gets all squared up to Triple H, saying I'm just bring it, but Ben was a legal man, so he attacks the Rock from behind and let's the Rock got worked over, hot tied to Jericho, who then gets dropped across the top rope. Uh, rock does have a rock bottom, but then the referee's distracted, and I believe it's Jericho gets pinned after a pedigree. The heels do stand tall, but you know, they had the special guest referee. I say she was distracted, he was blatantly just chatting with Stephanie and pretending he couldn't see what happened when Triple H got involved. So, you know, that ties into the promo between the Rock and the heels later on, and basically, once again, before Backlash trying to further stick it to The Rock and Chris Jericho. Absolutely. I think um, in the lead-up to Backlash, you probably can't come up with a better Raw main event than a tag team match that features the Intercontinental uh, title match and the WWF world title match. It's a really good rub to the upper mid-card in order to show that they're um, that they deserve to belong there. It also builds upon the story already told with Jericho and Triple H. 
Benoit looks uh, and will end up looking fantastic by being featured in this. And he's actually been a very integral part um, to some degrees over the last couple of months, ever since he's debuted. He's always been probably the strongest pushed member of the Radicals, even though Eddie and Malenko are the ones who get the championships much quick, uh, much quicker to some degrees. Um, Benoit is the one who always features in the main event. He's the one who's always... Uh, tagging alongside Triple H always fighting the Rock or Chris Jericho and it's these are really good opportunities to give the rubs to Jericho and Benoit in order to prepare them for later on in the year where hopefully they can start becoming more integral main event talent and also you're not overshooting it on the main attraction which is Triple H versus the Rock so mm-hmm. as a main event for a go home Raw episode I think it's a very good choice um, and it suits perfectly and leads into the show very well, I feel. Mm-hmm. I actually thought Kurt Angle was going to come out or someone like that because you had Kurt chatting with Stephanie again and further planting the seeds for a relationship between them and, and the storyline that all happened later in the year between those two, which I thought was quite interesting. And I kind of get my head in myself, but like they do announce this, this thing with Shane, then further leads to Vince making it official on SmackDown that Shane will be the referee for the WF title match. And this is one of the things I like about watching the stuff back for this review, as opposed to how I saw things in the past or like in video packages, you know, years ago, and that you get to see how stuff is presented to you in a video package form and how it actually happened, especially in the order what happened. Sometimes it's all over the place because the video package for Rock Triple H at Backlash paints it as if you know Vince was put in the corner of a uh, of Triple H and then Shane was down to the face. All this stuff happening is what forced Linda to then put Austin in Rock's corner. But it didn't. It happened in the, a different order. It was Vince, Vince in the corner, then Austin got announced. And so the, the heels clearly thought, ah, it's too even. Now we need to add Shane in the ring to be you know, the special guest referee. So it's, it's one of those things you learn uh, when watching the band, that sometimes things aren't always how they're presented. It just shows how good WWE's people are at editing things. I agree. I think um, sometimes when the storylines are a little bit convoluted or badly done, more like the modern day interpretations of watching w- uh, WWE wrestling, it, the video packages can sometimes be the best thing because it cuts out the flab and cuts out the uh, inconsistencies or the confusion and makes it a or a much more brilliant um linear storyline that everything makes sense but we're lucky enough that we're re-watching back when these storylines were actually very good quality on a week-by-week basis so the video packages go from being the oh here's the essentials you need to know you don't need to watch the rest of it instead though and this time it's a case of the video package tells you what's essential but you're going to want to watch the actual build-up that's the difference yeah, definitely. And one last thing from Rob before I get into it. Uh, we once again start out with a match in the second week in a row. We've had a match to open the show, and it's S.A. Rios and Val Venus, the odd pair of a team, taking on China and Eddie Guerrero. And this uh, stems from Monday Night Raw, where there was, well, there was a fun series of skits of Eddie and China trying on various outfits for their prom. It uh, will happen on Sunday, the same day as Backlash. Uh, because Eddie passed his GED and then just as they found the right outfit they suddenly realised, oh crap, you've got a match in two minutes and they had to quickly get changed uh, and Eddie takes on Val Venus in a non-title match 
And A does get a cross match because of S.A. Rios and Lita getting involved. Uh, Lita had a cross body on Shane on the outside uh, and they helped Val set up the money shot and beat Eddie. So I thought, oh, maybe we're going to get we'll get a European title match before uh, on the go-home show I mentioned. But then I've seen this tag match, which is slightly even more odder. So we got China, you know, immediately going for Lita. And despite, like I said, they're slowly but surely getting more over and by just start after Backlash, they'll soon be cemented as babyfaces. I can't remember where exactly they're holding the show. The crowd in this particular city are not fans of Eddie Guerrero because they're very loud Eddie sucks chants. <laughs> oh, dear. Um, I did think that it was a good choice to kick off with Eddie in China because they do get a good reaction from the crowd. China is still relatively popular enough that fans are invested in her. And even if Eddie is getting Eddie such chats, he's still getting a reaction. So it pops the crowd. Um, I like the use of continuity they've got here, where after Val Venus defeats Eddie on the previous episode of the war, you then have it that he gets to have another match and S.A. Rios is involved in it because he's the one who's going to have the upcoming match itself uh, at Backlash. I do think it's a little weird that Val Venus defeated the European champion on title match, but he isn't getting a title shot, same as you. Um, and I don't think it helps either that during this match, I would say that China pretty much manhandles uh, S.A. Rios with ease. So you're currently having it that the weakest looking person in the match uh, going by the last couple of weeks is the one who's challenging for the title and the two strongest are the ones who aren't even involved in the actual upcoming championship match. So the booking's a little bit strange here, I do feel, but I would be lying if I said that I didn't think this was a solid match overall, especially for kicking off uh, the uh, SmackDown. But the booking decisions at the end of it, I am going to question. I'll go into that one after you've explained what happened. Yeah. Uh, but I did think it for the most part S.A. Rios did look better in this match than he has in the last couple of weeks where he has been easily manhandled but he did get, manage to get some good spots in he and Val actually worked well together and you know I would have liked to if they get through a little thing and like oh you know S.A. has promised you know Val if he can work together tonight after he beats Eddie Guerrero he'll give Val a title shot because he beat Eddie on Raw I thought that would have been a nice little like, thing to add but yeah S.A. Rios spins off the ropes you know hitting a really good, cool looking net hurricane around the eat that gets a crowd the crowd pops for even the Jerry Lawler takes notice of Val does this weird move where Rios lies down he puts his boots up in the air and Val just lodges Eddie he lands on Rios's shoes uh, Leah distracts the ref which means when the classic thing China tags in oh but the ref didn't see it so he has to go back out and the weekend opponent further gets worked over which is you know, a classic tag team wrestling move uh, Val does take take down China on the outside and you know, just takes her out of the match which allows Rios to beat Eddie Guerrero with a insult, so that's two shows in a row in the go-home week for the pay-per-view where Eddie's been defeated. And then, as soon as the match is over, Lita gets on the top rope and has insult injury by hitting the insult on Eddie. I know you might question, you know, the champion losing two uh, non-tail matches, right, so close to a pay-per-view title defence, but I think this one in particular makes more sense than the Val one, because, you know, S.A. Rios has to get, you know, some significant win in order to further establish him as a threat, because kind of just been there with uh, Eddie and Eddie and China, you know, he and Lita kind of getting humiliated, you know, Lita being put to the table and everything. And Lita was still selling the ribs when she came out on Raw to interfere in Eddie's match. So, you know, he needed something on the go, Joe to still make him look like a threat going into 
backlash because you know he hadn't really. This is still the most high-profile thing he's done as he was like every champion before, and nobody really uh, cared. Uh, and also establishes even though the fans aren't and really behind him, uh, that going into backlash they're a clear face, heel face dynamic. SN Lee are the heels. China and Eddie are the faces. I get what you're saying in terms of we are needing the victory. I do feel that it's a good opportunity to make him look a little bit stronger in preparation for the actual title match. Um, I think that if the match against Val Venus hadn't happened on Monday Night War, then this would be really good booking in that SA steals the victory and Eddie takes the loss. So it gives you an opportunity to believe that SA Wells may actually win at uh, Backlash. But having it happen built on top of Eddie having already lost on Raw, um, it just makes me wonder to some degrees why they couldn't have had, for instance, uh, China take the loss. Because she comes out of this possibly looking the biggest threat, and she's the one I would say needs it the least, because she's not even going to challenge for the European Championship. So that is a slight issue I have with it, in that I do feel that the combined booking isn't very good. It, um, it If you looked at it in terms of who looks the strongest, I'd say at the moment it would be China at the top, Foul Venus above, S.A. Rios, and then Eddie Guerrero. And to me, that doesn't make any sense. So my issues with the booking is that the fact that Eddie has to take the loss two matches in a row, um, as opposed to having China take the loss in this match, for instance, in order to have it that... They both look relatively weak in preparation for Backlash. Both Val Venus and S.A. Rios look a little bit stronger in preparation for a possible future title shot and an actual title match at Backlash. It's the combined elements that I think doesn't work so much. That's my Mm -hmm. issue with it. But I will say, as I mentioned, I do think this is a solid match overall. uh, And it's a good and it's a solid start to the show. Mm hmm. It was a hell of a minstrel that Isidros did as well. You know, he got a hell of a lot of air on that one. And then getting Lita involved again further helps set her apart from everybody else. But given that nobody else is setting minstrels. Uh, then we have the DX Express arriving to the arena. And they made sure on Raw when they got out of the DX Express that they mentioned, oh, just how much money this DX Express costs. It's almost as if something unfortunate might happen to this, you know, thousand dollar plus, you know, bus that they spent a lot of money on. How unfortunate that would be. Vince, Vince, Vince man, despite, you know, you know, he didn't have to drive there. He's a rich man. He could probably get a limo and go himself driven to the event. But he just came and goes, the DX Express, give me a break. <laughs> just like, I'm a millionaire. I don't drive around in buses. <laughs> yeah. The idea that he also gets like sick when he's actually in that. I'm just like, that is ridiculous enough that I can believe it. He's so used to being on aeroplanes or limos where he doesn't get sick, but anything that's relatively low cost enough, such as an express or a bus, basically, then he just doesn't have the um, the ability to sit through it without feeling sick. I love that bit. It's ridiculous enough I can believe it. Mm-hmm. Well, that takes into the rock cutting an M-Round promo, and he says about what DX had been doing to him. He said, I know that tonight... This is probably DX's last chance to try and humiliate The Rock. You know, I'm ready for it. Just throw whatever you want at me because I'm still taking the title at uh, Backlash. So what's it going to be? Steel cage match? Lumberjack match? Stephanie's dirty pants on a pole match? (laughs) (laughs) And he goes, come on, come out and do your worst, which then brings out, you know, the villains, basically. And 
they basically come in and say, you know, we've thought some great ideas, you know, I humiliate you, you know, they were, we had some really great ideas, but decided we're not going to do any of those. Instead, we're just going to sit back, we're going to have the night off, you can have the night off, Rock, and prepare for what's going to happen to you at Backlash. Uh, we watch Road Dog take on Christian tonight, uh, and if Edge gets involved, then their tag title those get vacated and the match at Backlash is off. And then this is where Vince announces that Shane will be the referee at Backlash and then tries to further stir the, the ship between Rock and Austin like he did on Raw. But then Rock just tell, then tells him, you know, what if Rock said he talked to Stone Cold Steve Austin recently? What if Austin said to the Rock that he's going to be here tonight? And the group of him, Michael Cole in his very high-pitched, pubescent voice, what? Stone Cold Steve Austin's going to be here tonight on SmackDown. <laughs> and no, Vince just laughs. He goes, I did further illustrate that he said that Austin won't be here and he's too scared of here. He says, Austin, quote, doesn't have the grapefruits to shop here tonight. And then just grabs his own grapefruits to further illustrate how much bigger his grapefruits are to Stone Cold Steve Austin. And then The Rock says, I guarantee, which is a phrase they all like using that and in that very ring. Uh, Rock guarantees that Steve Austin will be here later tonight. And they leave that on, oh, will, will, will Steve Austin be here? Tune in to find out. And then, then we come back from commercial, and The Rock just buggers off. The Rock just gets in his car and buggers off. And Michael Cole asks, maybe he's going to pick up Stone Cold Steve Austin, <laughs> which is now a remake of the uh, Peter K show Car Share, but just be Rock and Austin just sitting in the car listening to the radio. <laughs> I would watch that show without any question. Just like to imagine the two of them arguing over what song to play, where the rock is like, nah, we're going to have some country or something like that. And Austin's like, nah, we need, we need something a little bit heavier. We need something like my theme song. And he puts on his theme song and they keep on swapping between the two. Oh, Joe, I've got ideas coming out of my head already. I want to see this. You have gotten me too excited for this now, mate. It is ridiculous. Um, Great opening segment, I would say, in terms of, well, not opening segment, but the first major segment in order to present the possibility of what could happen next and to light a fire. The energy from the crowd as soon as it's revealed is huge. Um, I thought it was an interesting take to have it that DX reveals that pretty much all of the main players are going to have the night off. Um, but to some degrees, it actually makes a lot of sense because it means that you can build up the anticipation even more for when it comes to Sunday. You say, do you know what? If you want to see these lot in action, you actually have to buy the pay-per-view on Sunday. You don't get it for free. Um, the inclusion of mentioning about Edge and Christian, uh, I actually think it's a, it's a small moment, but I think it's really good because it makes them feel more important as well in that the tag team championships are... Uh, important enough for the main heels to focus on it. So it's a nice little rub for Edge and Christian, I thought. Um, the reactions from the heels when uh, Rock reveals that Austin's going to be there. Vince has some of the best reactions that you're ever going to pay for. And it is the perfect setup for the episode. It gives you an interesting storyline for the rest of the show. And I like the fact that the Rock leaves because then it's like, do you know what? I've dropped a bombshell. And now I'm just going to leave you to deal with it. So it, it gives that hint of possibility of, oh, could the rock be involved? Oh, has he actually left? And that sort of thing. It creates more mystery and interest. And I think that's perfectly done. And I love it. And also, it kind of makes the heels look arrogant. Like, you know, we've already, already got that Shane's going to be the referee. Vince is going to be Mac Honor. 
you know, we don't need to do anything else to rot night. We've got you where we exactly where you want you. Now then we have the exit with their their bus and they see the road driving off, they just wave off goodbye, you know, Austin's not gonna be here and they see the on their windshield, somebody's put two Austin middle finger like foam fingers uh on their windshield and there's they just laugh off, oh how cute and everything. Like they still don't believe that Austin is gonna be here. And we go back to you know, for another match. Uh we have Dean Malenko getting his rematch for the light heavyweight championship against Scotty Too Hotty. And this apparently came about after a triple threat match on Sunday Night Heat the previous week when Scotty defending against Taka Michinoku and Dean Malenko he beat uh, Taka in that match and Dean Malenko immediately attacked him and he said this match is meant to happen at Backlash these two can't wait to get their hands on each other so we're going to have it right now like, you could have had them on Raw you know there's still a, there's a full show in between Sunday Night Heat and this but you know each to their own I think that this entire thing is strange Michael Cole says that the match was originally booked for backlash, but this feud is supposedly too heated to wait three days. I'm pretty sure the whole point is a pay- of a pay-per-view is to have the most heated matches uh, battle because it's the biggest stage for them to do it on. So that instantly I'm thinking to myself, well, that's just a load of rubbish. So even before the match starts, I'm already questioning the point of it. Um, and when you, after you finish your description and explanation of the match, I will then go into my issues with the match. I should point out the match is still going to happen at Backlash, uh, but oh, and Backlash matches. Oh, oh, no, I don't want to say far, but this is decent. But you know, they, they clearly didn't have a lot of time for it, so you know, I'll, I'll look forward to talking about the Backlash match. Uh, Scotty does look good. He's got his red, you know, gear on, and that matches the the strap of the light heavyweight tails. So he actually looks good with the belt. It gets attacked just as he's entering the ring by Malenko. It's kneed in the gut after he ripped off the ropes. Then Scotty does make you know his baby face comeback. Does manage to connect with the one in the crowd go wild for it because you know as much as as cool as it is, you know the, the the worm get interrupted for, you know for the heat of it. Something you can't beat it when he actually hits the worm because the crowd always pop for it. Uh, he goes for a sunset flip, uh, which Michael counters into a pin. And as the ref's going down, Michael just leans forward, which almost all his body weight's on the rope. His, his arms just dangling over the middle rope. It's a very, it's the most blatant thing. Fucking guy in the cheat seats could tell that Dimalenko was cheating Scotty too hotty. But the referee somehow just oblivious, just looking down. I can't see it. I can't see it. If I can't see it, it's not illegal. <laughs> and with the use of the ropes, uh, Dimalenko regains the light heavyweight championship. And I, I, I don't know if you're going to say something similar, but I really think that it would have actually added to the backlash match if. Scotty Too Hotty would have went in this champion, even if he lost the belt back. Like, it still would have meant a lot. You know, if Scotty Too goes in, you know, he's part of this popular tag team, he's got his first proper singles title in the company. Even given that Scott Taylor was actually a part of the original like, heavyweight title tournament, actually beaten by Brian Christopher in the semis, I believe. But mm. he's finally got his first singles title and he carried it into a pay per view, it would have meant a lot more to the story. I agree. Uh, 100%, actually. I feel that. So my so the I have three issues with this match pretty much. Um, one, I feel that as a title sh- match overall, it is quite it is a bit underwhelming. Um, mm-hmm. It if you can feel both men holding back as if they know they're going to have a third match to go to, which is what you don't want to see. So that first of all doesn't help it in that it doesn't feel like it's actually going full pelt as you'd expect it to. Uh, the second thing 
is that just like you, I thought that was an awful finish. It requires such bad refereeing. It was the sort of refereeing that you'd almost have to go out of your way to do. Like if you, it, it would make sense if it was Shane McMahon counting for Triple H against The Rock. It does not make sense when you're supposed to be a honest referee uh, refereeing between two individuals for a huge title. So that in itself does not help. It's the, it is the sort of finish that you're going to go, well, they're going to have to have a second. They're going to have to have another match now. And that combined basically just means that it this match just ends up feeling completely pointless because they end up having a match at Backlash anyway. So you gain nothing from this match. If anything, it detracts from the positives of going in. And I feel that having Dean Malenko go in as the challenger, as opposed to the champion gives him that little bit of extra edge in order to battle for it. And it's a big opportunity for Scotty to to be coming into a pay-per-view as a champion. Now it's just, None of it, I feel, actually gains anything, and I don't think it makes sense, and that's what disappoints me. Um, I would much rather if they just waited until Backlash, and I feel that it would have meant more not having this match and saving it for Backlash than it would having three matches in the space of two weeks all build up. Yeah, because I think it's not until the Sunday Heat leading into Backlash that they officially announced that the rematch is happening. So if you were actually looking forward to seeing that match at Backlash, even though it's not, it's a very much an undercard match, you think, oh, well, I've kind of been searching because I, I thought this match was going to happen at Backlash and they don't confirm that it's going to happen again at Backlash until, like, I think Sunday because they don't announce it on this show. So, you know, anybody who's a fast guy to want to see him at Backlash would have been short-changed at the time. So, yeah, I definitely think going into... This match going into the PBS, so it's still shaving the champion. And you know, it's not like the idea of all oh, the feuds too hot, like it's not even that much of a feud. Scotty got a match, he won the title, and that was good. And this happened, I wasn't, I didn't really agree with how it finished. And then they gave a great match at Backlash. It's not much of a feud per se. I mean, because, well, the t- two cool and the Radicals were having a very long feud from like February through March and everything. And Scotty actually wasn't still out, or if this happened last month. Really, after SC Rios lost the belt to Malenko and Scotty started challenging him for it, and it was in the midst of the two cool radicals, then you could believe, oh, it's too hot between these two groups, but it's just two guys having matches. Yeah, like Modern Feed's just two guys having matches on subsequent weeks. Yeah, I agree. It's like, so this is going to sound like a really weird example, probably, but if you think of like when Ric Flair and Ricky Steamboat had their trilogy of matches, um, it made sense each time because either one of them lost the title or there was a issue about the finish and it didn't feel like they did free matches because they could do free matches. They did free matches because it made sense. Whereas instead I would say this is the complete opposite. It feels like they did free matches just because they could not necessarily because they had to, I feel like it would have almost worked better to some degrees if you had it that Scotty do hotty, had been winning matches all the way up to Backlash, becoming the number one contender, and then having the two of them battle. And then it could have been that Scotty Tuarty wins it at Backlash. And you have this story that's been built up in order to give it actual importance. And then they could have had a second match, possibly the next pay-per-view, something like that. But 
I just feel that this is very much a almost a title feud that they've created just to kill some time and I feel mm. that's the worst type of title feuds yeah no, we'll wait and see what happens at Backlash but then we go into the DS Express again everybody's chatting and then Triple H gets paged 316 and they laugh all again more silly games than that. and then Vince kind of just goes you know I'm starting to get an uneasy feeling about this so this is where the doubt is starting to creep in uh, for Vince and the heels and then, oh, I, I can't wait to talk about this. Hardcore Holly is consoling Crash Holly. His poor Crash lost his hardcore title on Raw. And before I explain why hardcore is out, was like, you know, just because, you know, you lost your title, you can't get a date, and you still collect beanie babies, it doesn't make you any less of a man. Now let's go out there and win that match tonight. And he just looks up and goes, those beanie babies were a gift, cousin. Sure. Uh, so what happened was on Raw, Holly's took on the Hardys. Uh, and they said that Hardcore had promised he wouldn't try and attack Crash and get, try and take the Hardcore title from him. He swore on the Holly family name. But uh, the Hollies beat the Hardys after Crash smacked Jeff with a, a trash can led behind the rest of the back, and then Hardcore followed up with a drop kick. And then as they started walking up the ramp, the Hardys just chased after Crash and dragged him back to the ring and just start beating him up to try and win the Hardcore title off of him. And Hardcore just kind of casually waits there. Then Perry Saturn and Taz come down, a brawl breaks out, everybody try to win the title from Crash. And slowly but surely, you know, you see the wheels start turning and Hardcore Teddy starts slowly but surely meaning his way down and think, huh, they did promise I wouldn't beat him for the title, but if somebody beat Crash for the title, I can beat them, and I can be the Hardcore Champion. But he doesn't get the chance, despite Jeff hitting this one tone, Matt quickly gets in, steals the pin, and Matt Hardy is your Hardcore Champion, and we'll see Matt defend the title later on. Uh, do you know what? I'm going to admit, even though he doesn't have the hardcore title at the moment, Crash just adds to the show so much. I am, He is one of my boys. I'm going to say he's one of my boys. Him, Steve Blackman, and probably several others that will annoy you at some point are totally my boys in that they should be awful and yet I love them. Having any time with Crash Holly instantly, he's so... Um, there's a sincerity to what he says. Like when he says, "Like they were a gift, cousin," you can actually believe that he really did, uh, really does think they're a gift. Like, granted, it could probably turn out to be to himself, but it's just he's almost too naive for the hardcore division, which is the reason why he's so perfect for the hardcore division. Now, the idea of um, hardcore holly slowly having that brainwave of like huh maybe i can take advantage of this situation doesn't surprise me at all um it makes hardcore holly a little bit more interesting by having more stuff to do with crash i am overall surprised that the decision was to have matt hardy win the hardcore championship um in the in the lead up to backlash it's Probably the two least likely individuals you would have thought to be added to the hardcore division at this point, like a fatal four-way match between hardcore Crash, Perry Saturn, and Taz. That does make sense. The Hardy Boys probably feels a little bit tagged on to some degrees, mm -hmm. having them involved. But to be fair, if you're going to have it, you want to involve the Hardy Boys on a pay-per-view 
uh, without ruining any stories. The Hardcore Championship is probably a good opportunity. And also, they surprisingly suit the Hardcore division, as we will see. Mm-hmm. I think it actually makes sense, because it's going to be a bit like the Hardys, the Hollies, Bears Iron Tads, and I have a 10-minute version of the match. So, I mean, instead, it's not... The title reigns don't officially count if you win it during the match, just whoever ends the 10 minutes as the champion. And I think it actually makes sense because you've got fairly hardcore and ties, you know, all technically you know, brawlers. You've got the, Hall, the Hardys who are, you know, high flyers and they'll take risks off the top row and put themselves to the ladders and tables. And they've already got a reputation from that following WrestleMania. And then you've got Crash the Wiley, usually the Wiley champion who, you know, scurries out, out of it. It just seems. Like I said, it does seem weird they would do a tail change this close to the match and they kind of set it up. Because yeah, like the, the other four have been like, mixing the tail scene for the last couple of weeks, but the Hardys do feel like they were added in the week of. Probably because, you know, Edge and Christian and the Dullies all have featured matches at uh, Backlash, but these guys don't say how to have them on the card. And speaking of, you've got TNA fighting the Hollies in this next match, who are the Dullies' opponents on Raw. And they do the recap it here, but Interested basically a series of vignettes and provocative clothing, we'll, we'll say it like that. Uh, basically making all sorts of weird, funny puns regarding tables and, and about wood. And uh, if you don't have the centre leg, you can't keep the table up. And things like that, basically to try and entice Bubba Ray. And then uh, the Dudleys took on Edge and Christian on Raw. And you had the TNA bringing Trish out on, the, on a table to try and distract Bubba, but they managed to get over that distraction. and this is a does look like they were going to hit a 3D. Trisha gets up and starts dancing on the table. And it was a really funny moment where Bubba goes to run in position for his spot in the 3D and just stops dead in the track, just stares at the ramp, which allows D1 to get beat, beat by Asian Christian. So it was actually pretty well done. I have to admit that this is the sort of match that really could have been a, a throwaway, but. The, by having two teams come together who are already involved in matches at Backlash, it's a really good way of selling Backlash. Like, you even have it at the beginning, Michael Cole's like, well, we've got TNA coming out who are going to be facing the Dudley Boys, and we've got the six-man hardcore title match with both Hollies. And you have it that both of these matches are being sold to audiences by having the individuals involved, like the Dudley boys coming in, for instance, or the discussion of the hardcore title. And I do think the main thing we learned from this match is the fact that hardcore Holly is too stupid to exist in that he decides to come in and complain at crash (laughs) at the worst time possible and ends up losing the match, which just makes hardcore Holly look like the biggest idiot possible. I am glad to see TNA win this match because I feel they needed the victory more than um, Hardcore and Crash Holly did. Because TNA, I think we've noticed, they actually lose a surprisingly amount of matches because it still feels like it's too early days for them to be a cohesive tag team. So they haven't been getting the big victories that they needed yet. But this was the a moment where they needed to win, uh, and the feud between the Dudley Boys and T- TNA have been has been built up relatively well. It's a very simplistic story, um, but 
it's a very good example of taking a simple story and making it interesting enough for audiences to want to see. And the fact that they've got a big pay-per-view match revolving around it, and it actually does feel like something that is worthwhile of appearing at Backlash because of the build-up, shows the good work from both teams. Trish especially, who has basically been given the ball and just ran with it. Um, her version of an M&S advert with lingerie on top of a table. <laughs> um basically had me uncertain about the feelings that I was having at that time. Uh, I can imagine as a 10-year-old child, it made a hell of an imprint on on my psyche. But um, overall, I have no real complaints about this match. Relatively solid. Um, It has reasons for it. It contributes to the ongoing storylines, and it's a much-needed victory for TNA, and I'm happy with that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because two days into debut, lose on TV, win at Mania, they start losing again. And mm-hmm. it's only the last week or so they started actually winning again, which they need to be taken seriously against the Dillies who have already won the tag titles so by this stage. And I've been saying before that TNA needs, needs to start picking up some wins. And it does seem like that match is going in the Hollies favour. The Dudleys are showing watching backstage. But there's a point where Harker has everything in hand. Then he wants to go up the salt. And then Crash goes, no, because I mean to tag me, tag me. Like when like Donkey in that fight scene, uh, they lock, Shrek, tag me, tag me. And uh, Crash goes up the top. He goes for a die on Albert, but Albert moves out of the way. So, you know, no water in the pool, as they say. Uh, they follow up with a slam, followed by an elbow drop from Test. Again, Test's elbow drop, very underrated. And TNA get the win. And as they walk around, the Dillies attack them with chairs. And they say, this is the, this is the time where they're going to put Trish through a table. And I wouldn't have been surprised if they had done it. Because they gave away bloody uh, Tory being tombstoned on TV when they should have done that on pay-per-view. So mm. just it's going to happen. Uh, she just, Trish just kisses Bob Ray, which kind of just causes me to freeze in place. Like, I don't know what to do now. Which gives TNA time to recover. Attack Devon and get Trish safely away from Bubba. And then Albert just grabs Bubba and basically gets a set-out bomb right through the table. So not only have you know TNA got a win on TV, they've managed to take out the Dudleys and put one of them through a table. So again, much like SEOs later on, they needed to be made to look like a threat going into the pay-per-view, and they've done that, I think, here. Yeah, I think this is probably the best work they could have done in terms of making TNA look an actual threat to the Dudley boys, especially as the Dudley boys are former tag team champions now. So therefore, they've got that... Um, level of legitimacy that TNA haven't yet. So by having TNA get a victory in this match and also put the Dudley boys for a table, it makes them look like the right level of threat to the Dudley boys. And this gives you more of a build up and excitement for the upcoming pay-per-view. So I'd say for a go home show, this, they made the right decisions with this completely. Mm-hmm. We got to backstage where, Vince you know, insists that you know they split up and search the just in case Austin's there. So Drivewitch goes one way with Tordy and uh, Stephanie, and then Shane goes the other way with Vince. And then they can kind of feel like they, they think they can see somebody behind a, a curtain. And they, they go through it, and they can see Austin, and Shane just goes, man, I goes, ah! He's like, get him, Shane, get him! And it turns out it's just a cardboard cutout of Stone Cold. And they go mental. And then backstage, you see Stephanie just wandering around, kind of looking for Austin. And then Kurt Angle comes up to her and she kind of gets a fright. And he goes, have you, Kurt, you haven't seen Don't Call Steve Austin around here, have you? Don't Call Steve Austin? No, I never met the guy, but I'm sure he's a big fan. 
fucking love Kurt. Um, not gonna lie, I loved the tackling of the cardboard cutout. It may, it did make me laugh a little. And Steph talking to Kurt Angle. Kurt is just golden on it. Every time he appears on TV at this rate, he is just doing such tremendous work. And having this little sprinkle of their upcoming relationship for the next couple of months is also a really good method, which I like. Um, what they've done so far is they have created a tremendous amount of intrigue and tension for this episode. They didn't go straight to, oh my God, Stone Coast Steve Austin's got to be here, so we had to prepare ourselves. Instead, they really slow build it until like the paranoia starts to set in. And it makes it a little bit more realistic going down that pathway. And now we're getting to the point where they are on edge. Um, I did find it funny that Triple H decided to take Stephanie and Toria away. I was half expecting to say, well, Shane Finch, you go look for Stone Codes and I'm going to go have a threesome. (laughs) Very much. It's like how conveniently Fred, whenever he split up the gang in Scooby-Doo, always took Daphne with him. Dirty bastard. Yeah, god damn it. Uh, also, that's the thing when Angle thanks Stephanie for a favour she did him on Raw, which I'll explain later on when Kurt comes out later. Uh, in this next match, we have again two matches being represented for Backlash. This time, the Hardcore Six Weight and the Intercontinental Title match as Ben won Saturn representing the Radicals take on Jericho and Taz. And you know, we have a strong start here. We have Jericho being hit behind with the IC title when the ref isn't looking. Uh, Taz spends most of his time in the rig for his team. It's a Northern Lights suplex on Chris Benoit, but Benoit gets kicked out. There's a really cool-looking uh, backbreaker kind of knee-drop combination by the Radicals on Taz. Uh, I did think it was kind of a weird decision to have Taz be the one that gets isolated out of his team. Uh, Jericho then breaks up a crossface when it looks like Taz is going to tap out. Uh, Saren then gets sent into the end table on the outside. He starts falling with Taz. And then Jericho manages to hit the Lion Salt, which in my notes is not weirdly all-corrected to the Lion's Gate. Uh, but Jericho picks up the win uh, over Benoit, so the Benoit gets a w- Jericho beats the Intercontinental Champion going into Backlash. Again, why is no one named a move, uh, like a submission move, or, or why is Dragon Gate not thinking of opening a second promotion calling it Lionsgate? <laughs> the Young Lions being prepared uh, have a wonderful Japanese crossover with New Japan and having the Lions battle each other before they can become faux dragons. I would, I would watch it. I reckon that's a good <laughs> shout. Uh, obviously, they needed someone like uh, like our in- initiative and inspiration to come up with such an idea. But I'm pretty <laughs> sure we're happy to um, give them first rights on it as long as we get uh, the plaudits and um, that sort of thing. Um, again, this so this is a relatively quick-paced match. It's, again, another clever match in order to build up excitement for Backlash. And it does make sense to have the two Backlash um, have the two Radicals members battling their opponents from Sunday. I kind of get why they would have Taz be the one who would have um, or the attack on him because Jericho is battling for the IC title, so therefore he's relatively higher enough up the um, up the level that he needs to look strong as opposed to Taz. Taz can have it that he can take the weakness this week and then hopefully come back looking good in the actual backlash match. So overall, um, again, solid match does what it's need to. No complaints from me. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, it was, it was a solid match. Not really much else you can really say about it. And then a weird one with the whole where is Austin is he here, is he not? Where Shane can smell can see like empty beer cans all crossed up outside some random closet. So he and Triple H go out, go in into this dark room and then Shane trips up and just a room filled with empty beer cans. So again, Austin drinks beer. These are beer cans. Did Austin drink all of these beer cans? Who knows? The mind games continue. Um, I love the fact that um, Shane McMahon obviously has a strong enough nostril that he can detect beer through a closed closet door. Uh, That is very impressive. Not everyone can do that. And I think he deserves credit for being that capable. Apart from that, it's another little hint at what could possibly be um, relatively harmless. And knowing Stone Cold Steve Austin, I believe it is completely possible that he drank all of those beers. Um, Mm. Possibly even the set this afternoon, as opposed to in the builder. That could be everything that he's drank since he's been injured. But to be fair, I think that probably has just been the last week that he's drank. So you also mentioned that I think it's quite interesting that all, they're all searching for Austin backstage, which may explain why nobody comes out with, uh, not even Toy comes out with Road Dog later on uh, for his match with Christian, which is up next. And I mentioned that in the, that week. Uh, X-Pac wasn't at Raw or SmackDown because of a real-life family bereavement, which is also pretty sad. It also makes Triple H look even more like a horrible human being, you know, sneaking off with Tori and Stephanie. Give you no soul to waste a man's going through a lot and you're trying to shag his missus. For shame, sir. I'm, uh, just, I'm just surprised he waited until X-Pac ex- was actually away to do it. <laughs> uh, so on Raw, we had Road Dogg uh, taking on Chris Benoit. And, match. and then Edge and Christian came on commentary. And it's weird because, you know, all the acts of development of Edge and Christian turning into heels seems to be happening on Raw. And I have to tell you about it. You don't get to see any of it. Because, like, you had the post-mania Raw where they kind of they looked quite arrogant saying, oh, guys, there's nothing wrong with being second best. And then they kind of just went back to, you know, just being baby faces. And then they came out here to join commentary for this Road Dog match. And they just blatantly say, Oh yeah, we're gonna we're just gonna sit here. We're gonna wait to see what happens in this match. And if Rodol looks like he's about to win, we're just gonna go in there and attack him. Put big collar running, King. Uh, I'm like, I'm sorry. Have they been watching Nitro at this point? Are they getting into the Russellism of a of a you know just using insider terms? Oh, we're gonna do a run in. We're blatantly just gonna attack him. And then they just again they started to get quite heelish, you know, slagging Tory, slagging a uh, dog. And then as it looks like the guy. And they do. They said they were going to when Edge spears Road Dog by rest by allowing Benoit to pick up the one with a flying head. But and then they further attack him doing kind of a side slam and neckbreaker combo. And then Tori gets involved. Edge grabs her, he's out of force himself on her, and this guy kind of shoves her back to Christian, who then hits her with a reverse DDT. So bear that in mind. They both attack Road Dog and they beat up Tori. I know they're maybe heels, but they still beat up a woman here. And yet when Road Dog probably beats down. Uh, Christian after the match uh, Christian's still seen as the baby face in the, the equation here and I'm pretty sure they still try and portray these two as baby faces going into backlash so this is really where they're trying they're start, they're starting out to turn Edge and Christian heel but yeah they've chosen to put them against DX who are also heels yeah I part of me wonders whether the intention behind it was the idea that to them Road Dog and X Pac are the cool heels, whereas 
edging Christian would be nerdy heels. So that they wanted to see how that plays out. But the thing is, is that this was actually nearing the point where everyone was getting bored of X Pack and World Dog. They were no longer cool. They were lazy, generic, and very uninspired. And I think you can notice that in this match where World Dog is isn't really getting the connection that you normally expect with the crowds. It's showing that the they're really starting to turn on the uh, DX as an overall package because it's just not the same anymore. Um for me, the most um, memorable part of this match was the fact that Jerry, the perv King Lawler, was talking of massaging Tory, which was very fucking creepy. Mm-hmm. Very creepy indeed. It's not much. This is pretty much beat for beat what what a uh, what Road Dogs match with Edge was last week. Literally, similar note. It's pretty much you know Spiel gets cut off. They they have a bit of a brawl on the outside. Uh, the Road Dog's opponent is pretty much dominant over him, you know, getting the spinning version of the reverse key, getting a crossbody outside. But then Road Dog manages to flip over, uh, the leap over Christian, hit that pump handle slam, which I still don't think ever really suited him because, you know, he's not exactly a big guy, his Road Dog. You know, someone like Test hitting it makes sense, or somebody who's small, bad in the variation, still like the way Pete Dunn does a pump handle and the flatliner for the better end. That makes sense, but just Road Dog's pump handle just never made any Nearly hit for me. So Rodo gets to win, basically, exactly beat for beat what it was with Edge last week. Then he starts beating the hell out of Christian after the match. He goes, I've never seen this side of Rodo before. He's gone crazy. And then the referee reverses the decision and says that Christian's won the match, which Rodo is very annoyed about. I, I'm curious about the decision as to why they had Rodo be that attacking in order to have the decision change i don't understand the overall intentions of it because all that means is that if he does the same thing on sunday he's not going to win the championship um if anything i would have liked to have seen i reckon it would have made more sense the other way around where christian gets angry attacks road dog beats the crap out of him and then gets disqualified because of it or the decision gets reversed and then that makes it that Edge and Christian, the question becomes, are they being played and um, against them? Is their anger being played upon? Are they likely to end up making mistakes? So it gives a sense of DX might actually win. Whereas this, I feel, just ends up is kind of like letting Road Dog look strong, but not actually getting the victory. It just, it's a questionable decision for me it's a um a weird decision but it's also an inconsequential decision i don't really care because it's road dog and he is boring and crap in the ring and he's i i think it's getting to a point where he's not it's going to become more and more obvious how weak he actually is when they start going towards more of a focus on being able to actually wrestle and tell stories as opposed to just being good on the mic. So mm-hmm. this is the stage where he's going to start losing out, I feel. Yeah. Go back to the agent, seeing that all of the aces there are banished road are looking for uh, looking for Austin, and then toys are like, he's here, I found him. You're right through there, he's been under our nose the whole time. And basically, Harold Evans is a room where you can hear Stone Cold WF aggression theme played, and they open it up, it's just somebody there with a DVC kaboom box just left there and it's just playing Austin's song. 
But then Triple H gets angry and just smashes the thing to pieces. And the fact that I was able to type down GVC can boombox and I know exactly what it was, it's probably because of all the adverts on WFTV that I've watched through the series of, uh, you know, and now the GVC can boombox brings the slam of the night or the smack of the week or whatever shit they talk about. Uh, and they say, you know, children's brains, you know, children watch too much TV and, you know, it's affecting their memories. Not at all. GVC can boombox brings WFTV slam of the week. <laughs> I am not a fan of these um, Slam of the Weights. I find them a little bit generic and boring, but to be fair, it's much better than the Peacock uh, and Applebee's crap we had to sit through for SummerSlam 2021, which was getting to the point that I wanted to stab my own eyes out. Um, I mean, people used to think it was weird that they were doing all these adverts and they got milk thing. Like, why do you have to advertise milk? They had an advert on SummerSlam that was basically advertising water. They had to have poor Sarah Schreiber go up to Miz and Morrison after they go to their big water truck and ask, what is that? It's just, it just makes them all look stupid, which is really unfortunate. It even was bad enough that I almost felt sorry for Charlotte Flair, which you know I'm never sorry for Charlotte Flair. Um, I'm also curious about the fact that Tory either has to be a complete and utter idiot to think that hearing music means that someone's there, or part of me would start to wonder whether or not it would turn out that she is actually um, working for Steve Austin or something like that. But I feel that would be too interesting a twist for them to even consider. Cause it's just, it feels a little bit weird that she would go, Oh, he's obviously here because I heard his music. So she either looks like an idiot or she looks like she's involved, but it ends up being neither. Unfortunately, um, which is just uh, it's a little bit that but t- to be fair it's just an, the whole point is just to build up more interest in is Stone Cold there or not so really it doesn't matter that much in the long run of things mm-hmm. uh, we've got Kurt Angle in next I want to talk about what happened with Angle on Raw he had a match with Rikishi and he said no I don't hate the big show I just hate big asses and he said speaking of big asses and he talked to him about Rikishi Angle then blatantly shoves the referee in his way during the match and gets himself DQ'd. Well, he's then attacked by the Big Show and he's left to be stink-faced by Rikishi. And Angle goes backstage and asks the AP if they can provide him some protection. And he goes, you know, yeah, like, well, we don't protect everything. You know, you got money, you got pay. So he goes, yeah, I'm going to go get my money. It's in the locker room. And he goes, he goes, you know, guys, if I can offer you guys some advice. You know, the best protection you guys can have is, you know, maybe change your lifestyle, maybe be a bit healthier, you know. Get down on the alcohol, the, the booze, the gambling. And he's standing over Bradshaw and he basically gives away, as he's seen the gambling, he looks down and goes, oh, three queens, nice. And just gives away what cards Bradshaw has. And he basically get, he gets kicked out of the Acolytes, you know, office, let's say. Because they had the office with the full door set up and everything. And then he runs into Stephanie who's chatting with Bill Buchanan and Bossman for reasons. And basically, Peyton says that the acolytes are being mean to him for no reason. And so Stephanie then puts a uh, Big Show in a, in a handicap match with Bossman Buchanan. And he uh, goes, you know, you guys don't like the Big Show, do you? And Bossman says, no, oh, I don't like the Big Show. And he re- he reminds us of the thing he did with, uh, and describes what happened with the with Big Show's dad's coffin. He dragged it away. And Kurt Angle, very Dr. Evil, like he just went, right. <laughs> and just looked at him like, why, why are you telling me this? Why would you do that? And... <laughs> So nice that they referenced that. And the boss man and Buchanan had that handicap match with 
a big show. Angle got involved, and then there was a run-in by the APA, which then led to this match on SmackDown with Rikishi and Big Show teaming up in a handicap match to take on Bill Buchanan, Bossman, and Kurt Angle. And, you know, what's funny is that you know, Big Show comes in, uh, Bossman Buchanan just shove Angle in a show, so that while Big Show goes to a chokeslam Angle, Bossman Buchanan can then attack him and use the numbers game on him. Uh, they take a Rikishi on the outside by sending him to the States. Really cool looking circuit by Bill Buchanan. But eventually, Buchanan gets set with a stink face and a choke slam for the win as the two big men do their dancing with their matching sunglasses. I think I think they chose Buchanan out of all because, like, ah, he's the he's probably the least known to WWE at this time, so he's the one that can eat the loss here. Yeah, because we all know that we still need to keep a um, uh, big boss man protected in case he <laughs> ends up having a, another feud with uh, Big Show at any point. Um, I'm I'm going to be honest. Uh, I blinked and missed this match uh, because <laughs> it was so quick. Like I, I I must have like turned around for thirty seconds, came back, and the and it had ended. I was just like, oh, and I thought to myself, do I want to rewind and actually find out what happened? And I went, no, I'm not that interested enough in this match to do so. So I just didn't bother. But it seems like the fans smiled, which is all that matters. Yeah, sure. Uh, <laughs> I don't have much else to say either. It, was, it, was, it happened. It's over now. Uh, go backstage and, you know, all, all these signs so far, now that I look back on it, don't really seem to scream Austin is here or not, or you try and say that maybe it's The Rock, try to do it all to play mind games, because, you know, The Rock's been paid 316 before. Uh, but she, their paranoia has led, led to Shane Triple H attacking a bald man who dressed similar to Stone Cold in the toilet. Then he was like, oh, you, you're not Stone Cold. No, I just work here. I'm in production. Get the hell out of here. You're fired. <laughs> like, they fired him for not being Stone Cold and for tricking him. Somehow, he's, it's his fault that they attacked him, which I just thought was hilarious. And then we have Al Snow with Steve Black, and they're trying to make amends because of all the places to do it, apparently they broke up on an episode of Sunday Night Heat. And then on Raw this week, you had Steve Blackman and D'Lo Brown Take on Al Snow and the Godfather. Al Snow dressed up as the Godfather. Uh, Burn beat uh, Al Snow with the lowdown for the win for his team. And then, you know, Al Snow goes crazy, tries to dance with the, the hose, and then just gets thrown out of the ring by, by the Godfather. The Godfather basically, like, yeah, you're a loser, fuck off. <laughs> and so he tries to make amends with Steve Blackman, and Blackman just leaves Al by saying, you know, you'll never be taken seriously as long as you carry around that stupid head with you. Like, and I'm thinking, and well, at this point in the show, I was watching him, and I was like, wow, I'm, it's, it's just the end of head cheese, as we know it. I'm sure Sam is utterly heartbroken. Oh, this was a moment I was like, I'm not, I didn't even put notes for it because I just didn't want to believe it. Uh, in, my, in my heart of hearts, I couldn't accept it. So therefore, it didn't happen until they fight each other. Then, it, then it's still it's still a real relationship to me. It's still real to me. Damn it! <laughs> and then we go from and then we go from that to a real high point in the show. I think we are Jeff versus Matt for the hardcore title. On the first proper time we see the hard, you actually go at it. And I like some of their paper years, like you know, at I don't know WrestleMania. This match actually was good. It was amazing. A a match that doesn't technically actually matter is the one where they have their best match against each other. 
I know. Yeah. Not the match that they put months of build into implying that Mac murdered Jeff Dog that legit died in real life and they still couldn't put a decent match out of it. Yeah. But they could throw on a man on episode SmackDown for the hardcore title which Matt randomly just won. I assume it was probably a last minute thing Matt winning the title. But And somehow they can pull out a decent match. It's just baffling. But you have a point where they both grab trash can lids and it says, you know, let's make it even heat. Jeff puts his down, referring he's without a doubt the stupid of the two brothers, as Matt Keat says, and just smacks Jeff over the head with it. <laughs> Jeff dies pretty. off the top button. Jeff dies off the top with a broom for some sort of leg drop. They both grab ladders. So Jeff decides to throw his ladder away and just kicks Matt's ladder into him. Uh, he goes, he does his leg drop over the ladder on a mat, and then he goes up the back of the ladder for another spot. But Matt sprays him in the face with a fire extinguisher, causing him to fall to the outside. Uh, he does a spot where Jeff just falls the ladder and lands on Saturn uh, Hardcore and Taz as they're on the outside. And in the mix of uh, scuffle with all the competitors that are going to be in the Hardcore stick, so he crash slides in and smacks Matt with a bin lid and pins him to win the Hardcore title. So crash as it probably should be, is the one that goes into this match on, on Sunday as the hardcore champion. And as I said earlier, why he's prepared for this, while everybody else is, you know, hitting each other weapons, he scurries in, steals the hardcore title, and runs away as he's one to do. It's amazing how Crash Holly might actually be the most intelligent wrestler in the hardcore division, because when the rest of them focus on knocking each other out he focuses on winning titles which is just <laughs> absolute insanity i feel um i i enjoyed this match because it was just the right feels like the right level of just utter carnage like there is no rhyme or reason at all to anything they do pretty much during this time they just literally right I'm going to beat the shit out of you. And at the end of it, we're both going to be in pain. And that's literally it. And I, I had, I, I thought this, the sort of match that was tremendous fun. I'm not going to lie. Um, not something that I'm going to remember much and I'm not going to probably tell my kids about it, but for six, for six, seven minutes, Matt and Jeff Hardy be, basically beat the crap out of each other. Like they were teenagers again. And one of them has stolen the other's girlfriend. Yeah. I mean, I think this is definitely a match, the best match in the show at this stage. And, you know, again, the fact that it was just basically being used to build to another match at, at Backlash and the person who won it wasn't even in the match originally. Again, it just shows the fun you can have with the hardcore title. Uh, back again with the McMahons and DX. As a, a man comes up and says, I got a delivery here for Vince McMahon. He goes, oh, take me to the Stilvers you've got, and they think somehow Austin's going to be in whatever truck the guy's brought, or Austin's going to be behind this. It's, and it's just a giant, giant cement truck. There's one, one large order of cement. Apparently, it's supposed to go in some sort of Corvette, or it's also a flashback to when uh, the fact they call it cement the same way that JR uh, heard it. Austin's feeling McMahon's fast Corvette full of cement. Filled with what, JR? And speaking of JR, he's on the phone and he's talking to somebody about Battle. I'm so glad you're going to be there. Yeah, it should be a hell of a show. Can't wait to see you there. And uh, Vincent Trubich, I assume he's talking to Austin. He goes, no, I'm talking to my cousin. My cousin's going to be a backlash. And Vince actually takes the phone and says, hello. And you, you don't hear the other end, but you can assume that JR's cousin is confused as to what's going on. 
And so basically they finished their interrogation. But what I love is that halfway through them talking, like very early in this like really short bit between JR, Vince and Triple H, you very loudly hear in the background, Godfather's in the house as the next match is done. <laughs> uh, I think, um, the, to be fair, the best part um, may have been afterwards when Michael Cole with the line of the night calls Jerry Lawler an intelligent man. That 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 just that just had me crying. I thought that was so inspired. Um, but obviously, the paranoia was rampant among the McMahon Helmsley regime. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think JR even called a bit paranoid, aren't you? <laughs> so then, if you go as my boy, the Godfather, takes on your boy, the Blackman, and a match of personality versus none. And it doesn't really matter. You could blink, and this match would be over. Because the main takeaway from this is Al Snow gets involved, attacking the Godfather, getting the Godfather the DQ win. But notably, he attacks the Godfather with nunchucks, and he's actually dressed exactly like Steve Blackman. So, I, I didn't know this happened. I thought they just randomly ended the group, and they went this way. Al went back to nothing, and Blackman eventually finds himself in the hardcore scene where he does stuff that's actually entertaining. Uh, but no, I didn't realise they, they took a serious route, where again, I pointed out before, people fondly remember Hedges are clearly a heel team, as we've seen for the most of their run. But instead of, you know, charismatic Al Snow getting Steve Blackman over to his side of things, Al Snow decided, ah, I'm going to dress like Steve Blackman and try and get rid of all of my charisma. All this shows is that it isn't over until they're actually fighting. So that's why I wasn't emotionally upset early on, because I believed there was a possibility that they may still continue. And do you know what? Turned out, I was right. It ain't over till they're fighting God's sake. Blackman versus Al Snow. Mm. Just one more fight. <laughs> About a lot of cheese. <laughs> and you'll be the head that's left. <laughs> missing me. Oh. I obviously missed my calling in life, didn't I? Moving, so I was going to say moving on, but it doesn't actually get any better in this short other backstage, in this short backstage clip, because the shittest, clearly added in later sound effects, literally rattle point two at MP3, that is found on some Royalty 3 website. They've not even chosen the best rattling sound effect. It sounds like somebody's using one of those weird rain sticks. But DX and I are in the locker room, they're sick of the whole you know, paranoia about Austin. And then they hear something, they look in this bag, and it's a rattlesnake. Oh, they're run away, they're scared. It did not sound anything like a fucking rattlesnake, whatever weird sound effect you're... This is worse than when uh, the Mountie used to have his weird, uh, like, his, like, taser thing, and they'd add in the sound effect, and zzzz, and the background, or for, like, the electrified steel case, they'd add in the... In the background... This is this was worth it. This actually sounded like the thing it was meant to be. This just sounded like they put the audio of some baby shaking its rattle and put over this like ah oh, rattling rattlesnake. People will buy that. It sounded more to me like uh, do you remember when you'd see at football matches 
there would always be at least one little kid that would have that thing that you can like swing around and mm-hmm. it would go like, and that sort of thing. That's basically what was happening here. Instead of a rattlesnake, you had a little kid being given something like that and just going to town on it. Like, yeah, it's like, wait, that's enough sound effects. Son, give me that back, please. <laughs> eh. But moving on from that, you have the moment that everybody wants to talk about when it comes to this episode. The heels come back down to the ring. They demand that Austin, if he is here, you get out of here right now, you son of a bitch. And Vince even promises to send the others away. It'll just be you and me, Austin. And then nothing happens. And then Triple H gets on phone and calls Austin a chicken shit. Uh, I should mention earlier on, we've seen the Rock arrive back to the arena. So I don't know what the Rock's like. Ah, well. Clearly, all these stuff that went out, they mess with him. Oh, Rock will go away, kick his feet up, go get a nice dinner, and come back and see the fallout. Uh, so the Rock gets called out as well. He gets called a chicken shit, and the Rock comes out and goes, said he said he's been enjoyed seeing what's happened to him last all night. He goes, I oh, won't regret. Is that a and I didn't bite you guys on the ass? And then he says, he mentions about looking for Austin, and he points up to the screen. And who's on the screen? But Stone called Steve Austin. He goes, here you guys have been looking for me all night. Hell, I'm out here in the parking lot. And also, there was a massive crane we saw. They get part, the D Express parked up to it early in the night, that foreshadowing. And he says, you know, there seems to be some confusion as to what side I'm going to be on at Backlash. I'm going to be on the same side I've always been on, my own. And he says, you know, I'm out here in the parking lot. You know, it's like the, I think I missed one of my other Collins' life, and that's construction. And he gets into this crane, and he, he drops this, this giant block thing onto the DX Express, which blows up in the most overly dramatic way possible in a moment that you all probably know about. It's been recapped in so many, you know, best moments of the attitude or whenever SmackDown has like an anniversary show, they recap this moment along with the supermarket thing. But basically the heels have been had the advantage from all the way up until the go home show where they've also been led around on a wild goose chase. And then they had their very expensive bus blowing up and Stone Cold signs us off by his old and that's the bottom line because Stone Cold said so. Oh damn. That was just so much fun. Uh <laughs> this is possibly one of the most awesome segments in SmackDown history, uh, without question. It is just such a great ending to the overall show. It's the perfect way um for leading into a major pay-per-view the dx express explosion i do feel to some degrees the only thing that's missing is uh five power rangers in front of it as you get the power (laughs) rangers saban explosion um which like you said is completely over the top but if you're ever going to have an over-the-top explosion i think the return of stone cold steve austin is perfectly appropriate for it um it's just it's just a it's just a great segment. It's a great segment that the rock looks good, Stone Cold looks good, uh the McMahon Holmesy regime look like they actually may be challenged and are scared. It it's something that's been built up to for about ninety minutes by this point, or whatever it is, probably more like about seventy or eighty, something like that. So as a as an episode episodic uh story, it feels earned by the time you get to this point so it's exciting and i just this is a case of where wwf 
are doing tremendous work with their episodic storyline. I think compared to, especially when you compare it to some of the crap we've sat through, such as like, uh, oh, is Rock actually the new champion after he pins Triple H in a non in a non title match, or oh, DX are going to go and make, show how mean they are by picking on homeless people and shit like that. This is a good story. And you feel like you earn that ending and then it's perfectly set up to get to backlash. And you probably could not be more hyped than you are right now. Mm-hmm. There's one thing like, I was conflicted about how I felt about like, you know, all it's all been about the rock, even after they announced that Austin's going to be here. And then, you know, it seems like this go home show, it was the focus thing away from the rock and away from everything else. It was all about Austin. But I think given, you know, the, how The Rock got involved later on and how The Rock uh, still be able to carry the company and after Austin goes away again and comes back full-time later in the year, that, the, you know, The Rock's still a major part of this. But basically the idea of, you know, he's the biggest, he and Austin are the two biggest baby faces. So the idea of, like, it's got to the point where both of these guys are needed to take down uh, DX and the McMahons, even if one of them is just going to be, like, in the other's corner. Absolutely. Um, it's just so, so exciting to see what happens from here. I think um, it was imperative that this be a good ending because not only the build up, but also if you were having it, you were at a show where your main event was fucking the Godfather versus Steve Blackman, you're going to be pissed as hell. But this almost makes it worthwhile. Everyone's like, oh, your main event. Oh, was it the Godfather first Steve Blackman? You'd be like, yeah, but I got to see Stone Cold Steve Austin blow up the DX Express. And then everyone would be like, shit, that was yeah, awesome. Yeah, you know, we didn't have any like matches like made for the show, like during the show, I think, even though they, I think they already, and I think they probably already had the Road Dog Max Band, they just officially like said it during the show. They just like, reminded everybody of it at the opening promo. But like the fact that they chose for the actual last match before the actual main event segment to be Al Snow be the be to be Godfather be Steve Blackman, which ends in a DQ after Al Snow gets involved, and not switch that order around and have the last match that you see before this main event like talking segment featuring an explosion be the Hardys maybe going at it. You know mm-hmm. maybe why I swap those two around maybe. No, I absolutely agree. Um, I was thinking the exact same thing. Um, I even put in my in my. This is what I wrote in my notes in in when I'm discussing the cons. Uh, I said the choice of main event is especially poor. Blackman and Godfather is a mid card piss break. If they swapped it with the Hardy match, then it may have been almost acceptable. Mm. And you know, it's weird matches like that, Godfather match and some other things. While this is obviously iconic and it's great to actually get to sit down and watch it as it happened. The, in that moment uh, with the Jade Express, I think I'm going to give this a bad day, bad ratings. I'm going to give this a thumbs in the middle for SmackDown because there is a lot of good stuff on this, but then there's also stuff that's good, but it doesn't leave me a lot to really say about it. Like stuff that went by so quickly, I didn't have time to really like form too much of an opinion about it. Uh, kind of like that uh, big show, like handicap match that happened. I mean, I, I like the I like the Benoit tag match, I like the hardcore match, I like the opening promo. Uh, even the TNA very Hollows match was really good. Uh, could have done without the Christian Road Dog match. The 
like a heart, light heavy tail match could have been a lot better, as we'll see why. Uh, but also, Limits Filler kind of dragged it down for me, but you know, it's still a solid uh, show. It still has a lot to go on for it in terms of building a backlash. But I don't know if I can give it more than a thumbs in the middle. And for me to recommend something, I'm not going to recommend like the, the bus explosion because, like, if you somehow got into watching this episode and don't know about that, then what rock have you been living under? So I don't think you need to be recommended to go back and watch that. You probably already know about it. So I'm going to think my recommendation probably will be the hard, Hardy's match. Because I remember about five or so years ago, I didn't even know that match existed. I was just, I randomly wanted to watch some matches do the hardcore title. So I typed in YouTube, WAF hardcore title match. And that came up, the full of this match came up randomly on YouTube. So I still think some people probably don't know about it. So I'm going to recommend that one. I mean, it's a fair choice. It's a fair choice. Um, for me, I feel that this is a great episode in terms of the overall storyline and segments. I think it hooks the crowd very early on by revealing Stone Cold is there. And then it does a tremendous job of building up tension throughout with these hints towards Austin as a character. If you, like me, you weren't that familiar with elements of his character, you actually learn quite a lot about him through this episode. The rattlesnake connotation, the beer drinking, the music, all that sort of the Corvette, the damage, etc. All of these things add to his overall character, which sells it a lot better. Um, and then the ending is an absolutely awesome explosion. And you would have crowds buying backlash without question. Now, the cons for me is that unfortunately, the majority of matches are OK at best. They are mostly used to set up for the upcoming pay-per-view. I've already mentioned my thoughts on the main event. Um, apart from that um, Steve Blackman Godfather match, I would say none of the matches are really that offensive to any degree. But that means it, it's a very hard decision for me to make, is that if, if we were looking at it purely from the storylines and the segments, I would give this episode a thumbs up. If you're asking me about the wrestling, I'd probably give it a thumbs down because I feel that's the weaker elements of the entire show. And in fact, if you ask me, I wouldn't recommend a match. I would recommend not the explosion, but the overall storyline, seeing the build-up of how well WWF could actually do an episodic storyline that hooks you in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what was your rating again? I'm gonna go with thumbs in the middle, same as you. The it, if it's if you're if you prefer the sports entertainment side, they, you're probably gonna love this episode. If you're a fan of the wrestling side more, then you're probably gonna hate this episode, and that's the difference. Mm-hmm. And well, there are some others like looking for Austin as a hero segments were better than others. It still is better than like you, said, you mentioned the. DX and homeless people thing that that led to nothing things like that so uh, it's good like that so you know they've been better uh, running teams but also there's been a lot worse so the actual build up is, is good so that has been the go home episode for Backlash we're finally made our way through with some no breaks in between so sorry about that but we're running full steam ahead on a you know blown out DX Express Slowly but surely, making our dragging our way to Backlash 2000. Well, we will have another special guest to join us, as we tend to have on these pay-per-view reviews. And hopefully, even though Backlash is a significant improvement over WrestleMania, hopefully the review of it won't be as long 
as the review that we did for WrestleMania. And until we do get to Backlash, uh, Sam, in the meantime, if people wanted to know more about your thoughts on wrestling or anything else, where would they find you in the meantime? So at the moment, there are two locations they can come find me on. They can either come to Cultured Vultures, where at the moment I am currently planning a few articles looking at the NXT brands specifically, more like uh, Pete Dunne, Samoa Joe, and that sort of thing. I'm also quite interested in the return of Brock Lesnar, so I might see whether or not I could possibly get away with doing something on him now that he's returned. But I will primarily be appearing on WrestleJoy, uh, which at the moment having tremendous fun working on. We even got mentioned by Tony Khan in the CM Punk uh, interview, which was really cool. Um, mm-hmm. My latest piece was talking about who I thought were the best options for Kenny Omega to lose the uh, each championship to. I've also recently written a piece on what could possibly be um, features for an all elite network, uh, working on my ongoing series of Shinsuke Nakamura as IWGP intercontinental champion. And of course the 434 day title reign for CM Punk, which as I've just said recently is suddenly a lot more resonant in wrestling than it was a couple of months ago when I first started it. So it turns out I have my finger on the post more than anyone else, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. Very good. Uh, you can also find Sam on our recent SummerSlam slash takeover review, join myself and Rian. And we're going to have some AEW content. One podcast, hopefully when your time is out, should be out already. And, hope, and after all, we're going to do another one with everybody back together to discuss the fallout to that. And as well as that, you can find me on Twitter at Scott Find the brand at Rogue underscore Pines on Facebook and Instagram. Check out past episodes of Rogue Retrospect doing our past paper reviews. And stay tuned also for Backlash and our mystery guest. You can check, out me, you check me out on podcasts that we have here like Pod Nine Easy as me and Carl continue our review as we're coming to work close to the end of our Loki series of reviews. You can find me on Rogue Chronicles alongside Carl and Liam talking about Thanos, the Mad Titan. Uh, Jamie's back. He and Nathan have been doing some really good stuff. I'd go and check that out if you're interested in that. Uh, in terms of what I'm doing, outside, also on Scomble's Round podcast, we had a podcast last week talking about, we had a podcast recently talking about, uh, basically, we set, we I got some good news ahead of the podcast. We sat down, had some drinks, and just said whatever the fuck we wanted it was basically like our normal conversation with a microphone happened to be on. So it was not as structured as our show the week before, like which was talking about King of the Ring 93. So go ahead and check that if you want to see some true rambling. Uh, over on Eat Sleep Supply Retreat, uh, a new show in our Book It series is on YouTube now, where me and Jack Green go head to head in a fantasy booking, where we have to fantasy book a WWE versus TNA uh, show using all of the rosters that were contracted each company in June 2010. Only the people signed around those time are eligible. So, and I think I thoroughly outbooked uh, Jack, but you can go be a judge yourself. Go check it out now. And you know, I'm not involved with all sorts of things with those guys. Uh, we do feature shows. I think I'm going to be on once and looking back at Backlash 2016, you know, the first uh, Smackdown, Smackdown exclusive show, the brand of uh, the new brand extension at that time. And it also happened on my birthday when it happened, so hell of a show to look back on. 
all sorts of grease happening on here and other places that I'm involved in. And Sam is continually producing great written content. So thank you for tuning in. We are very tired because we've both clearly got a lot on. Absolutely. That's why I needed my two-day hibernation. <laughs> so before Sam goes back into his hibernation pre-writing out, I'm sure will be a dissertation when he makes his notes for Backlash. Uh, we thank you for tuning in and we hope to see you soon for Backlash 2000. See us. See ya! Yeah, ha uh-huh. Snoop Dogg. Dub C. All up in here. <laughs> bang, bang, yeah. bang, Yeah. Uh-huh. Straight cheap bang, yeah. Cold of the nights, dropping these things on your dome. Hitting up my enemies, man, dogging them with a heart full of stone. Bam, bam, kicking your dough down. Throw down, dirty your low down. It's about to go down. Who ready for the showdown? Which one of y'all want to be the first to get tossed in the tussle? Buckle, choked up on these muscles and taste these knuckles. Laws, I'm running them all. Haters, I'm gunning them all. Tricks on a dental and I ain't got no love for none of y'all I'm coming through like a phone cam Giving it up with both hands Slaughtering your whole fam Ripping up the program Total chaos Tell your snake eyes The gang none of you busters hurt me Boom, I'm a G with no mercy When I say yeah You say yeah Come on, hey, hey.